Thank you very much for that good singing. I love good singing. And I must say the singing in Sinfield is very, very good indeed. And your musicians are class as well. So praise the Lord for good singing. Thank you, Ian, for leading the meeting tonight. We're coming to Revelation, please. Revelation chapter 1. I usually try to give a message, a, a title, but what I've really just called the message tonight is Loved and Washed. And most of us in the building tonight are, are, well, all of us in the building tonight are loved. But most of us in the building are washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. And this passage is really about being loved and being washed. We're going to read from verse 1, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, please. I'm dyslexic, I don't know if you know that or not, so I find it difficult to read. I have to learn a passage to be able to read it publicly. But the, the advantage that that gives you is that you read carefully. And I want you to read carefully as well. And as I read, the way my mind works is I'm always asking questions. When I was on the building site as a joiner, if I saw an electrician doing something, I'd have said, what are you doing that for? And he'd have said, oh, well, this is that. So I learned how to be an electrician, a plumber, and a joiner, and a builder, and a plaster on the building site, just be asking a few questions. So it's good to ask questions. It's the same thing when you're reading the Word of God. I like to ask questions. Why does it say this? And why does it say this? And why does it not say the other thing? So as you're reading the Word of God, just let your mind be switched on and ask questions and consider what, because this is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of the living God. This is the most precious book. In fact, this is the only book that I've read through a number of times. I can't really handle other books too well. I've read Struggle, the odd book, in my time, but I love to read the Bible. And to say, when you're reading, just be careful and watch it. Let's come to Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. It begins the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I looked up the word revelation and the Greek word revelation, and it, it means... It means to shine a light upon, and you, you and I would know well, that's easy enough to, to reveal something that's to shine a light upon it. And the very first thing we notice here is that God is shining a light upon his son, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It also means to unveil, to, to lift the lid or to pull back the layer so that you can see. And you see, dear friend, if you're not saved tonight, as you just read the first word or two, you can see that God doesn't want you to be in the dark. This is shining the light on his lovely son that you might see him and see him in all his wondrous beauty, love and grace. You see, there's a verse in John chapter 3 and verse 19. And it says, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And friend, tonight, if you're in the dark, you're there by choice because the light has come into the world. And God here is shining the light upon his son that you might not be in the dark anymore because if you stay in the dark, you'll be in hell. That's just that's just the long and short of it. But you need to come out from the darkness. You need to get into the light. And that's a wonderful, wonderful place to be. Now let's look at it again here. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. This is the sovereign shining the light upon the sun. And then look what it says, to show unto his servants. This is the sovereign shining the light upon the sun for the servants. And all of us who are saved tonight, we are the servants of God. And God the Father is shining the light upon his son that we might see him, that we might behold the lovely son of God. 
the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. So the word signified, it's really the word for signs or symbols. So the sovereign is shining the light on the sun so that the servants, by signs and symbols, might see the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about. That's the long and short of what this book is about, that, that we might behold the lovely, lovely Son of God. Now let's come to verse 4. I'm really going to preach on verse 5, I trust, but I want to read this just to see how it works. Verse 4 says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ. Now, you couldn't miss that because you're seeing now this revelation is coming from him which was and which is to come. And that's God the Father. And then look what it says, from him which, uh, which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits. Now, you and I know, we're wise enough to know that there's not seven Holy Spirits, but that's, a, that's one of the titles, the divine names for the Holy Spirit. And sometime in your spare time, if you have any, just you read Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2. And you'll see the sevenfold nature of the Holy Spirit. He's a spirit of wisdom and understanding and knowledge and so on and so forth. I can't remember them all just now, but that's a, a title for the blessed Holy Spirit. So this revelation was coming from God the Father, from him, which is and which was and which is to come and from God the Holy Spirit, the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ. Now you can see that all of heaven, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all of heaven wants all of earth to behold the lovely Son of God. And that's what this book is all about, is that we might get a raise of all the problems in life, all the difficulties, and we might behold the lovely Son of God. Now, as you read through the book of Revelation, if you know the book in your mind, you will see that this revelation is revealing the wonders of the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 1 there, you'll see that he's the Alpha and Omega. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. And sometimes we're in the midst of problems and how, how is this all going to work itself out? Well, my Savior and your Savior, if you're saved tonight, he's the Alpha and Omega. He knows the beginning and he knows the end and we can just, we can just trust him. And if you're ever in difficulty and you don't know how it's going to work out, you come to Revelation and you can see your Savior. He's the Alpha and Omega. And then in chapter two, he's the, he's the son of man and he's in the midst of the churches. And sometimes when we're at church, we might be sitting sleeping. Hope not. Might be sitting eating our nails. Oh goodness. I clean the church at time from times and you hoover up more fingernails than enough and sweetie, sweetie papers and dear knows what you have to gather up. But listen, I'm not saying we can't eat the old sweet in church, but remember that the Lord Jesus is the one who walks in the midst of the church. Remember tonight that you haven't just come to meet your friends and to listen to the word and listen to a bit of good singing. You've come to meet with him. And that's the most important thing. We're meeting with the Lord of glory tonight. And that's why we have to be careful when we come into around the house of God. And then 
when you go on in the book of Revelation, you'll find he's not just the Alpha and the Omega, and he's not just the Son of Man in the midst of the churches. Of course, he's the Lord of glory. You see in chapter 4, he's the Lord of glory. And then in chapter 5, he's the Lamb in the midst of the throne. And then he's the Lamb opening the seals. And then he's the, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And then he's the Judge of all the earth. And then he's the Lamb, and then he's the light, and then he's everything. And the book of Revelation is just revealing the glories and beauties and majesties of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's come to verse 5. Now, there's three things I want you to notice. Well, we're going to read down to verse 6 as well. Four things, actually. Now, just read verse 5. And from, this, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ coming from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it says, and from Jesus Christ, who is, and I want you to notice, first of all, the tense. That's the first thing. As I was reading down through this, I thought, why? That doesn't say was or doesn't say will be or used to be or could be. No, no, that says is. So I want you to notice the tense. And from Jesus Christ, who is. And then I want you to notice the titles. Now, I was thrilled when our brother Ian <clears throat> said that he opened the hymn book at the, the section, The Names of the Lord Jesus. Because there's three wonderful names. In the Bible, there's almost 300 names for the Lord Jesus. 300 names and titles. It's just under 300. But here are three of them. And of course, the way my mind works, and yours should work as well, maybe, you're saying, well, why, why these three? I want you to notice the titles here. Look at it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. Now, I'm always thinking, why, why those three titles are not, why does not say the Good Shepherd and the Wonderful Counselor and the Lamb of God? Because they would have done too. But God has chosen to reveal his Son by these three titles just here anyway. He's the Faithful Witness, he's the First Begotten of the Dead, and he's the Prince of the Kings of the Earth. So we're going to notice the tense, and we're going to notice the titles, and then we're going to notice the theme. Because the theme here has got to do with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus and his wondrous love to us. Look what it says. Unto him that loved us. I, I can't get over that. I know what I am. So See, when you dress yourself up and get the aftershave and all on. My daughter bought me aftershave for Christmas. It's a wee bottle about that size. It cost her fortune. And I only used it on a Sunday. And only actually took it out last week for the first time. I didn't want to use it because it was too dear. And I went and scooted it twice. And my wife says to me, yeah, she shouldn't be scooting that stuff twice. You only scoot that the once. So I was very careful today and I just shot her out the once. And nobody smelt it anyway. But you see, we, we smile ourselves up to go to church. But really, we can hide what we are. Sometimes we can be hateful. Sometimes we can be deceitful. But in spite of what we are, and what we used to be, and what we could be, God loves us anyhow. And I can't get over that. I have done some dastardly things in my life, and been very hateful and hurtful to many, many people, and yet in spite of that, God loves me. And that's wonderful. This is the theme, you see, it's unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins with his own blood. And I want you to see the tense, and I want you to see the titles, and I want you to see the theme. And then I want you to see the transformation. And hath made us. I like to make things. And 
last yesterday I was working out in the workshop and I need to, I always try to work myself and I have more bits of string tied up here and clamps to try and hold the thing up but I was bit and I had to get my wife out and I said morning how this and she says to me what are you making I was actually fixing the roof because the roof had bowed down a bit and the rain was running in and she thought I was actually making because I'm always making stuff and my granddaughter says oh granddaughter's got a plan I can fix stuff and make stuff and I love to make stuff, but look what it says here. And hath made us, the one who made all things by the word of his power, that's the Lord Jesus, hath made us. And when the Lord Jesus makes something, I'll tell you this, it's not like the things I would make. Some of them's ropey enough. But when he makes something, it's absolutely perfect. And you're safe tonight. Here's what the Lord has done with you. Look what it says. And hath not only has he loved us, which is mysterious, and washed us, which is wonderful. But he has made us. He's made us kings. You think King Charles III is the king, but no, he's not just the only king knocking about here. You and I have been made kings and priests unto God. Look what it says here, and have made us kings and priests unto God, and his father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, end there. Please keep your Bible open. We trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to our hearts tonight. Now, this book of Revelation, the Revel well, it's properly the proper title is the Revelation of Jesus Christ. So that's what the book's called, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. But this book was written, according to the scholars anyway, it was written about 96 AD. So that's 64 years after Calvary. 64 years after the Lord Jesus gave his life on the cross. And I want you to notice the tense that is used. And from Jesus Christ, who is. And the very first thing you're seeing here, as you read down the book of Revelation, the very first thing you're seeing is that our Savior is a living Savior. It doesn't say that he was or he will be or he used to be. No, no. It says that he is. Our Savior is a living Savior. Now, the man who wrote this book was John the Apostle. And you and I know that John was the only of the, the only one of the 11 disciples who were left at that time who actually was at the cross. It was John who stood by the cross of Jesus. I think it's John 19.26 says, Now, when Jesus saw his mother standing by and the disciple whom he loved, and there John was standing at the cross, you see, and John was the one who was chosen to write this book. John saw the crown of thorns on the head of the Lord Jesus. John saw the scourging upon the back of the Lord Jesus. John saw the nails into his hands and into his feet. John saw the Lord Jesus being crucified on the old rugged cross. And there's no doubt about it that the Lord Jesus gave his life on the cross at Calvary. In fact, there's a verse there in Mark 15, 44, I think it is, and it says, and Pilate marveled if he were already dead. Pilate couldn't get over that after six hours, this man, whom they called the Lord Jesus, was dead. Sometimes people lasted on a cross for three or four weeks. Sometimes they lasted even longer than that. And here's this, this wonderful Savior, and he's dead after six hours. There's no doubt at all that the Lord Jesus had given his life on the cross. But you look at verse 5 again there, and from Jesus Christ who is. And friend, I want you to realize tonight that our Savior is alive. And because he's alive, he's alive to save. That's why he lives. He lives to be a prince and a savior. 
My friend, if I was here tonight to tell you about someone who had died, I might as well go home. My friend, you look at all the great religious leaders in the world and they're all dead. But our Savior is alive. He's alive to save. There's a living Savior for dying sinners. And I can't understand why anybody would want to go to hell when they can go to heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ has made a way for you simply, freely, to be saved from your sin. And all you have to do is rest in his finished work. He's alive to save. And not only is he alive to save, he's available to save. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. Now, when I get saved, I didn't know this verse, but this is the verse that the preacher preached on that night. Well, he pre this is one of the verses he preached on the night before I got saved. And I went to a gospel hall and I heard Ewell Finlay, I think he was in your assembly not too long ago, but I heard Ewell Finlay preaching on preaching the gospel. And he said that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the night after that, I was under conviction of sin and I called upon the name of the Lord and I was saved. And I discovered that the Lord Jesus was alive to save and he was available to save. I was away out a wee country road outside the village of Coke and nobody hardly even knows about this wee road and it's just, it's just nothing. But that's where I met the Lord. He was available. He met me in a wee country road full of potholes. You don't drive in the dark, you'd be killed on it. It's just a rubbish road. But I met the Savior there. And my friend, you can meet the Lord Jesus Christ anywhere because he's alive. He's able to save. He's alive to save. He's available to save. Friend, he's able to save you tonight. There's a verse in Hebrews 7 and verse 25. It says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, saying he ever liveth to make intercession for them and so on. You see, friend, the Lord's able to save. You see, before I get saved, I thought the Lord couldn't have saved me because I was so bad or so good and I had done this and I had done the other thing. And I said, well, there's no point in me calling upon the Lord's name. But friend, I discovered that the living Savior was alive to save. He was available to save and he was able to save and he's able to save you. Maybe you've come to the gospel meeting for years and you know the gospel inside out and you're a Christ-rejecting sinner on your way to hell tonight as hard as nails. But I can tell you the Lord is able to save you too. My friend, the Lord's alive to save, he's available to save, he's able to save, and he's ample to save. You don't need any more. We sing sometimes sing, I need no other argument, I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. You see, friend, it's not... If you think about Exodus chapter 12, and the Lord said, when I see the blood... I will pass over you. The people in Egypt were told to get the wee lamb on the 10th day and keep an eye on it to the 14th day and make sure that there's nothing wrong with it. And then they had to kill it at 3 p.m. Between the evenings, the same time the Lord Jesus gave his life on the cross. And they had to put the blood on the top of the door on the two sides when I see the blood. It wasn't the blood plus something else. You see, it wasn't the blood and your certificate of achievement. No, it wasn't your blood and your qualifications. No. It wasn't the blood in your good works, no. It's just the blood. My friend, the Lord's ample to see What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of the Lord Jesus. And you can see the tense that is used. It's, it's showing us that the Lord Jesus Christ is alive to save. He's available to save. He's able to save. He's ample to save. But friend, I want you to look at it again because this is very serious now. And from Jesus Christ, who is, who is. Because he's alive, you're going to have to meet him. 
I'm going to have to meet him. If you're not saved, you will meet the Lord at the great white throne of judgment. And you will be cast into the lake of fire for eternity. If you're saved, you're going to meet him in the air. So that's because he's alive. Because he's alive, you'll either meet him in the air or at the great white throne. You'll meet him in the sky or else you'll meet him in your sins. And my friend, because he's alive, you've got something to do tonight. If I wasn't saved in this meeting tonight, I wouldn't be waiting till half seven. Because the Lord Jesus could come at 25 past seven and you'd be left here to sit. And I, the keys in my car line here, you can have the car. Tear away, drive her as fast as you like because I'll not need her anymore. If the Lord comes tonight, you can have everything in my bank account, which is not that much. You can have the house. You can have everything because those of us who are saved will not need it anymore. My friend, don't you delay your salvation. You're going to meet the Lord because he's alive. You have to meet him. He'll either be in the air or else he'll be at the great white throne. You can see the tense that is used. Let's, let's look at verse 5 again. I want you to notice the titles listed, not only the tense used, but the titles listed. And of course, as, as the way my mind works, I'm wondering why, why these three titles are not, out of the 280 or almost 300 titles, why, why does it say, and from the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth? Why not the good shepherd, the lamb of God, the Wonderful counselor. Why, why not put three different titles in there? The door, the light, the bread. And all of them would have done. They would have described the Lord Jesus. But the Holy Spirit of God, as God's revealing his son, he says, first of all, he's the faithful witness. Then he says he's the first begotten of the dead. And then he says he's the prince of the kings. Now, as you look at those three titles, and just if you look at them simply, you can see the wonderful width that those titles give to us. When he's the faithful witness, that's, that's his earthly ministry. The Lord Jesus Christ is the faithful witness and he came and he went about doing good and he preached the gospel and he revealed the truth and he brought light and life into this world. And that's his earthly ministry. But then he's the first begotten of the dead and that's, oh, that's, that's his Calvary ministry. He's the one who gave his life and he rose again from the dead. And then he's the prince of the kings of the earth, and that's his prophetic ministry, because he's coming. Of course, he's coming to there, first of all, for us. And then he's coming as king of kings and lord of lords. The prince of the kings of the earth is coming as king of kings and lord of lords. Now, let's look quickly at these titles here, please. Look at verse 5. The first title used is the faithful witness. And that's bringing out his reliability. The Lord Jesus Christ is a faithful, in fact, he's the faithful witness. He's the one that you can rely on. The Bible tells us in John 1.17 that he's full of grace and truth. The Bible tells us that in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, hath prom which God who cannot lie hath promised before the world began. And my friend, this is the faithful witness. The Lord Jesus Christ cannot lie. And everything he says is absolute 100% true. Now, if you think, we'll not take time to look at all of these, but if you think of some of the things the Lord Jesus said, remember now he's the faithful witness. And you remember in John chapter 3, he met a man called Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was, was a, a real religious, upright, decent fellow. 
if he was your next door neighbour, you'd be as happy as Larry because you'd have no bother with him. He's straight as a die. And if he owed you money, he'd pay it. And he'd never do you a bad turn, a real up and down guy. But the Lord Jesus said to him, John chapter 3, verse 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And my friend, that's the faithful witness telling you and I that if you're not born again, you'll be in hell. You see, except a man be born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of heaven. My friend, this is the necessity of the new birth. This is God telling us that his faithful witness, the Lord Jesus, tells us that ye must be born again. The Lord Jesus also said, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. John chapter 13 and verse 3. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means if you don't repent, you'll perish. My friend, my little granddaughter can understand that. If you don't repent, you'll perish. And friend, there's no point you saying, you know, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not a bad person. That, that might be all right. And I haven't done anybody any harm. That's dead on. But my friend, if you don't recognize your sin and turn from it, you'll not be in heaven because the faithful witness, that's what he says. In John chapter 8, in verse 24, the Lord Jesus, the faithful witness said, if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. That's what he says. My friend, it's possible to die in your sins. I know we, I have to go to a lot of funerals and I go to a lot of funerals and I hear a lot of nonsense talked at funerals and almost everybody who dies now is going to heaven. According to the ministers now, nobody ever dies in their sin and nobody ever goes to hell. Everybody's on their way to heaven. But that's not what the Lord Jesus said. My friend, if you're not saved, you can bluff yourself and you can bluff people if you like. But the Lord Jesus said, if you don't believe that, if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. And my friend, in verse 21 of the same chapter, he says, if you die in your sins where I am there, you cannot come. See, this is the faithful witness. If someone stands up before a congregation and tells them, that everybody's on their way to heaven, and if you do your best, you'll be fine. They're a liar. They're a complete liar. And my friend, the faithful witness tells us that we have to be born again, that we need to repent from our sins, that there's a danger of dying in your sins. The faithful witness tells us that he must be born again. That's his reliability. Look at the, the verse 5 again. I want you to see that he's not just a faithful witness, but he's, he's the first begotten of the dead. And that's his invincibility. The Lord Jesus Christ was not the first person to rise from the dead. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that. When you come to your Bible and you find the word begotten, you have to sit up and take notice because it, it brings with it a uniqueness. You remember over in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, that Abraham offered up Isaac, his only begotten son. That's, that's what the Bible says. Now, if you know the Bible, you'll know right well, he's not the only son of Isaac. He's not the one and only son either. Oh, no. Because Ishmael was born before Isaac. And after Sarah died, Abraham had got six more sons. So he's not the only son and he's not the one and only son, but he is the only begotten son because there's something unique about him. He's the chosen one. And my friend... When you look at this verse, it tells me something about the uniqueness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the first begotten of the dead. He's not the first person to rise from the dead. But there's something unique about his resurrection. If you know your Bible, you'll know that there were three individuals 
who rose from the dead in the Old Testament. You'll remember Elijah went to the widow, Zarephath, and her son died, and he, he brought the son back to life again. So that's the first one. And then Elisha, he went to the Shunammite, and her son died, and he brought the, Shun- the Shunammites, the daughter, son, back to life. And then something else very strange happened in the life of Elisha. It's found, it's found in Second Kings chapter 13, verse 21. Now, I can't quote this verse. I'm going to read it out. And it came to pass, as they were burying a man, that, behold, they spied a band of men, and they cast the man into the sepulchre of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood up upon his feet. Now, that's a wonderful thing. That's, another, that's the third person in the Old Testament who rose again from the dead. Now, there's a reason for that, just by the way. When Elijah was doing his ministry, he, he performed eight miracles. And you remember when Elijah was going to be taken up by a whirlwind into heaven, that Elisha got a double portion. So therefore, Elisha had to do 16. But when Elisha died, he'd only done 15 miracles. And people were saying, oh, well, that's not right. But after Elisha was dead, they threw this fellow into his tomb. And when he touched Elisha's bones, he raised him to death. And that was 16 miracles. And that's why that happened. But in the Old Testament, anyway, that's beside the point. But in the Old Testament, there were three people who rose from the dead. In the New Testament, there were three individuals who rose from the dead as well. There was Jairus' daughter, there was Lazarus, and then there was a lady called Dorcas. So the Lord Jesus was not the first person to rise from the dead. But look what it says. It says that he's the first begotten of the dead. It speaks of the the uniqueness of his. You see, those other six people all had to die again. But when the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he defeated death and sin and hell forever. He lives in the power of an endless life. And my dear friend, this is the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ guaranteeing us. Because I live, the Lord Jesus said, you shall live also. And those of us who are saved tonight, we already have eternal life. We have the life of God and we shall never perish. John 10, 28 says, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My friend tonight, there's a living saviour. One who has defeated sin and death and hell and made a way for you to live forever in heaven with God. The alternative, of course, is living forever in hell with the unseen. My friend, why would you die when you can live? Now, look at the third title. The time is near away. Look at the third title. It's, it's the prince of the kings of the earth. The first title brings out his reliability. He's the faithful witness. The second title brings out his invincibility. He's the first begotten of the dead. But this title brings out his sovereignty. He's the prince of the kings of the earth. Now, everybody knows what a prince is. You you and I know in recent years that Prince Charles was Prince of Wales for 70 years. He was the longest ever Prince of Wales. From 1952 to 2022, he was the Prince of Wales. And a prince is a king in waiting. And when Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II passed away, I believe, into glory, Prince Charles became King Charles III because a prince is a king in waiting. Now, if you look at this here, the Lord Jesus is the prince of the kings of the earth. Now, I know in our hymn books and Sometimes the hymn book's not just right. The Bible's right. The hymn book's not always right. But I know sometimes you sing about the king of the church and all this, but the Lord Jesus is not the king of the church. In fact, the Lord Jesus is not even sitting on his throne at this minute. Come to Revelation, just like over a page out of Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21. 
You see, you and I know Hebrews 10 and verse 12 says, But this man, when he had offered up one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. So we're getting a clue right away there that the Lord Jesus at the minute is sitting down on the right hand of God. And at the minute, the Lord Jesus, for all of us who are saved, he is our great high priest. He's the one who sympathizes with us. And he's our advocate. As it First John 2 verse 1 says, And now little children abide in him that when he shall have known. I can't, can't remember the verse now, but anyway. That's about the Lord Jesus who sits at the right hand of God. He's our advocate with the Father. Little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And when those of us who are saved, when we make a mistake and when we sin, the Lord Jesus is our advocate with the Father. He says, look, I've died for that sin. I've shed my precious blood for that sin. And then when we confess it, it's, it's forgiven. The Lord is our great high priest. He's our advocate and he's our mediator. When we meet to pray, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life for ransom for all to be testified in due time. So those are the things that the Lord is doing for us just now on the right hand of God. So he's sitting on the right hand of God. Now look at Revelation 3 verse 21. If your Bible has read writing in it like mine has, you'll do, this is the Lord Jesus speaking. And the Lord Jesus says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. So the Lord has a throne. And all of us who overcome, we will, we will reign with him on earth for a thousand years. And that's the promise that we're going to sit with him in his throne. That's the throne of his father David that was promised to him in Luke chapter 1 and verse 32. Now look at, look at the rest of the verse. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Now, you don't have to be too clever to see where the Lord's sitting at the minute. He's not sitting on my throne, as he said. He's sitting with his Father in his throne. He's at the right hand of God. But my friend, the wonderful thing in Revelation is, if you look at verse 5 of chapter 1 there, that he is the prince of the kings of the earth. But when you get to Revelation 19 and verse 16, he's the king of kings and lord of lords, and something has happened. And my friend, this is showing us the absolute sovereignty of the Lord Jesus. He's sitting at the right hand of God. He's the prince of the kings of the earth. But there's a day coming when he will come as king of kings and lord of lords. My friend, because he's coming as king of kings and lord of lords, and he's coming to reign on earth on his throne, the throne of David in Jerusalem for 1,000 years on earth, and every believer shall, we shall reign with him. But my friend, before he comes to the Mount of Olives to reign on earth, he's coming to the air. And friend, tonight, the one who is the faithful witness, the one who is the first begotten of the dead, the one who is the prince of the kings of the earth is coming as the Lord. He's coming to receive those of us who are saved. First Thessalonians 4 and verse 16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. I've buried many people in the last year or two in our assembly. And I've always said at the graveside, wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if the Lord came just, just there? And the very first person out of that grave would be the person who had died in the Lord. And we'd be standing and there, there up from the grave would they arise. And then we would be caught up together. So there's going to be a reunion together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the blessed hope for every single believer. 
The Lord Jesus is coming to the air. But my friend, if you're not saved, if you're not saved, you'll be left behind. And because you've been privileged to hear the gospel again and again and again, you'll never get saved. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 11 says, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, because they believe not the truth, but a pleasure in unrighteousness. My dear friend, this is your opportunity to, to be saved. God's revealing his son to you that you may see him. The one who is the faithful witness, he says you must be born again. The one who is the first begotten of the dead, he is risen from the dead, defeated sin and death and hell so that you can be saved for nothing forever. Aye, but he's the prince of the kings of the earth. And one day he's coming, he's coming to the air. Approximately seven years later, he will come to the earth. And my friend, you would need to be ready. You just look into the world. You look what's happening in Northern Ireland, beloved Northern Ireland. And I never thought, ever, ever, ever thought I'd be walking up Banbridge Street and see a man pretend to be a woman. I never thought I'd see that in Northern Ireland, but that's regular occurrence, regular occurrence. My friend, the coming of the Lord draweth nigh, and it's time that you were seen. The Lord will bless his word to your hearts. We're going to sing a hymn from the Songs of Victory. It's number 175. And uh, it'll be up on the screen anyway. Give me a sight, O Saviour. And you couldn't have picked a better hymn or brother Ian for this message. And we want to see him. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. And we just want to see him. And friend, if you're not saved, I want you to see him. Give me a sight, O Saviour, of thy wondrous love to me. Wonders, the, wonder, the love that brought thee down to earth to die on Calvary. Let's think about the words as we stand together to sing, please. Thank you.